Welcome to the Winged Wheel Podcast. Here to talk all things hockey are your hosts, Brad Crisco, Ryan Hanna, and Evan Lobsinger. What the hell is in my pocket? <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> Oops. You were trying so hard to drink your water quietly. <laughs> and I put my arm down. Might as well have been sitting on a whoopee cushion, man. Yeah. I knew that would be in there. <laughs> Just let it be known for the record that the recording of this podcast was the first 20 seconds were going fine until Evan did anything. And the first 40 minutes of the Leafs game... We're going fine until Evan started live tweeting the game. <laughs> Evan is the root of all problems. Are you covered in paint? You didn't well, yeah, even change. Not, yeah. Well, this is all dried from yesterday. Oh, okay. And you, this is my construction clothing. So to come over for the podcast, he put on yesterday's paint clothes. No, I already had them on. He oh, never changed. He slept in them. My fret, my buddy, unrelated, uh, unrelated, unrelated to the painting, was like, "Come over. We're doing." We, I need some help doing some work. And he didn't tell me what, so I was like, all right, I'll just put this on in case it's painting. Oh, you have a lot of trust in your friends. Yeah, it was not. It was even worse. <laughs> You're chaotic, huh? Yeah, so I just put this on, and then I was like, ugh, I'm not putting on clean clothes. This dude's a mess. Are you okay? I'm good. Yeah. Good weekend? You're good. No. <laughs> <laughs> I did renovations for other people. <laughs> Uh, Brad is officially having a, a good time because he just saw Kansas City lose in overtime. Oh no, I'm still pissed. Oh okay, well then there's nothing that. Yeah, can it's it's the lesser of two evils, but now it's the it could have been us feeling, mm-hmm. which is almost worse. As a fellow irrational sports fan, I understand where you're coming from. Yeah, sports uh, don't make sense. Like you know, one day you uh, beat one of the top teams in the league, and then the next day you give up five goals in the third period to another top team in the league. Nothing makes sense. And here to dissect all that is the Winged Wheel Podcast. Uh, excited to talk to you about Red Wings hockey, most cider, uh, everything that happened with the Pittsburgh game, the Toronto game, and I'm sure there will be there will be a rational discussion moving forward on that. Uh, I'm one of your hosts, Ryan Hanna. I'm Brad Crisco, and I'm Evan. Mm, yeah, nice. this is going to be a struggle. Yeah, as opposed to your usual, you know, you thrive. I yeah, think. Sunday evenings are my favorite time of the the night to try and be sociable. What was the one reply? Which is great because you have the podcast every Sunday night and Beer League. Yes. You didn't plan your life out very well, did you? No. No, I don't like doing things on Sunday. (laughs) I saw a reply when Evan was tweeting to him calling him a Frankenstein-ass podcast host. (laughs) I don't even know what that means. It makes sense. It does make sense. I don't get it, but continue. On this episode. Spare parts, bud. (laughs) That's uh, a terrible way of saying it. <laughs> On this episode of the Winged Wheel Podcast, we'll be covering uh, what the Red Wings did over the past couple games, uh, individual story- stories like Mo Sider, Dylan Larkin, Tyler Bertuzzi, uh, and of course, uh, the third period collapse that defined what was otherwise a really exciting Leafs game. Uh, we'll be talking a little bit about what to do with guys like Vlad Nemesnikov, because I swear he's making us all fall in love with him. Uh, we have some news from around the NHL, and we'll see what else we get into. Before we do all that, Wings Money on the Board. 
it's a campaign uh, to help raise money for the Jamie Daniels Foundation, which was which is an incredible initiative started by Ken Daniels, lead announcer for the Detroit Red Wings, and Lisa Daniels Goldman. Uh, visit jamiedanielsfoundation.org to learn more uh, about their mission and cause. And go to wingedwheelpodcast.com slash blog to learn more about Wings Money on the Board and what we're doing to uh, help support the Jamie Daniels Foundation. Over 10 grand this season raised, which is um, far more than we ever thought we could. So thank you all so very much. The Red Wings. Evan's joke coming into this weekend was, yeah, the Red Wings have Pittsburgh and Toronto back-to-back with travel in between and that's going to be a rough weekend and in true red wings fashion they've played probably their best stretch of a hundred ish minutes of hockey yeah best five period stretch in years it was fantastic and then it all came crumbling (laughs) down 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 goes brown uh quote tweeted someone and it was like i kid you not someone sent this to me uh, a Red Wings fan sent this to me at second intermission before any of the comeback happened in the Toronto game. And it was, whatever, the Red Wings are going to collapse into a defensive shell and lose, blow the lead in the third. And it's just funny to see like that expectation reach more national media. Yeah, it's anybody who was surprised by last night. Uh, the only question I have for you is, are you new here? Yeah, which in which case, welcome. There's a lot of exciting stuff going on, but uh, some familiarity, some uh some warmth, some some reliability in terms of what's going to happen. It's not all chaos. Yeah. All right, let's talk about this, um, the Pittsburgh game first, because that was one where, I mean, by all rights, the Red Wings, if the Red Wings got run over, it wouldn't have been a terrible surprise. Yeah, three, second of three games in four nights on the road, one of the top teams in the league. That was shaping up to be bad. And it wasn't. And it wasn't at all. Um the the first big thing that happened with that game was not the first big thing, like not the first goal, but the biggest story of that game to start at least was Philip Zadina finally getting the monkey off his back. He got King Kong off of his back. It wasn't some Herculean effort of a goal where he dangled everyone, created space, leaned on a stick and sniped it on the world's best goalie. It was not like a beautiful one-timer. It wasn't some goal that he's double clutched on in the past. It was just like a grindy goal in front where he did what he needed to do to just put the freaking puck in the freaking net and it worked. And that's what he needs to keep doing. You could see he he was smiling and he was happy, but you could see the relief fall out of him. Yeah, or, that that goal celebration wasn't like a throw the arms in the air and like smile. It was just like bowed down fist pump, like pent out aggression, just leaving yeah. the body. Yeah, not really fall out of, out of him, the anxiety. He relaxed muscles he didn't even know he had <laughs> at that moment. Um, what was it? First goal in 18, 19 games? 19 games. Dating back to late November. November 30th. Yeah, against Boston. Whoops. Hey, you know, it has to continue now. He, he has to figure out how to make these goals go in moving forward. He's not going to come off that line with Ernie and Rasmussen. That's his role in the team until Verona comes back and then we'll see what happens. So he had a good game against Toronto to follow it up. He did. Yeah. I I think it was a better weekend for him overall than we've seen probably going back to early December. Yeah. He looked comfortable on the mm-hmm. ice, which he hadn't for a while. Cause the progression of Zadina was playing pretty well by all rights, but just the finishing wasn't there. And then he was getting in his head about the finishing and it was affecting the rest of his game. It was affecting his positioning and spacing and decision-making and passing and, it all just kind of compounded. 
I had to laugh that one play in the Leafs game where Ernie gave him the cross crease pass for an open net, but put it like three inches too far in front of him, just just to the point where Zadina couldn't reach it, like while staring at an empty net. And I'm like, there it is. The yeah. start of the next 19 game drought. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> what is it? Ken called it out. He was like, it was just too far for Zadina. And I saw it like he stretched with everything he yeah. had. Had he been trailing a little bit slower, but he was where he needed to be for the. Yeah. Minute. He was in the slot for a pass. Like. Crashing the net. Yeah. Uh, that wasn't the Red Wings first goal. Giovanni Smith got one in front as well. Nice job actually in front, picking up the puck and spinning around to, uh, to put it in. Um, no Giovanni Jamel debut yet we still have to wait a little bit so excited to see that but no it was good to see uh giovanni put that puck in brad you had a you had a take on giovanni smith and i think you put it out last night but i want to chat about that very quickly here tell us (laughs) giovanni (laughs) giovanni uh who has been playing better not night and day but continues to impress especially with his puck skills yeah the wraparound goal, not wraparound, spin around goal against Pittsburgh, obviously being very relevant because that's not an easy puck to corral and get on net the way he did. He had another play against Toronto where he pulled it through a defender, basically at a standstill and created his own entry off of that. And we've seen him do some really, well, frankly, dope shit with the puck over the years, especially mm-hmm. this year. If that guy could even just get to NHL average skating. He would be a very dangerous player. He's well below that still, but just NHL average, like a Tyler Bertuzzi level of skating. And he could be maybe not that he'd be a top six player or anything, but maybe something more than a fourth liner. Or he'd at least be a mainstay fourth liner where he wouldn't be sent down. Yeah. But unfortunately, he's not there with his skating and he's well past the age where there's a lot of hope for that to change. But it's a positive sign. Um, he did work a lot on his skating. If you guys remember, like we, there was initially a lot of excitement about, uh, Giovanni Smith. And then it was like, yeah, he doesn't really seem like he can keep up. I don't know if he's ever going to slot into the lineup with any consistency, if at all. And then over one summer, he really, like you saw the difference in his skating. He was able to keep up with the game a bit better. And I think he keeps up with the game right now in his capacity, just fine. Like he's not a colossal liability out there, but like you're saying, if his skating was, just that 10, 15% more adept. Anyhow, um, he's easy to root for in the fourth line now, and I do like him in the position they're using him in. He's not so good that when he's scratched or you know not in the lineup, I'm like, oh, where's Giovanni Smith? This That would make the difference on this team, but it is nice to see him in there. And um, the, the puck skills, I feel like, are displayed a lot along the boards too. Like he wins puck battles. Like he's pretty quick with his stick. And that's something where it's like you don't really do you don't really see that on a guy with stone hands. Like they they'd have to rely more on their body. Anyhow, I'm rambling. So that was uh, the Red Wings' first and second goals, Smith and Zadina, um, and that was actually everything that they had until uh, overtime in the shootout. But before going into that, <laughs> my favorite part of the game. Mort Sider <laughs> and Sidney Crosby going at it. It had been building up throughout the entire game. Yeah. Yeah, it had been. And that's like we saw the classic Sidney Crosby who's just pissed off and frustrated by how people are clamping down on him or whatever. And he just gives the extra little shot or does something to annoy. And if you bite, he just un- like explodes. And that's what happened. But Mort Sider is a big, big, big kid. 
Yeah. Oh, Cider's hard to piss off, too. He laughs. Yeah. He laughs at people when they're mad at him. The Chara thing. <laughs> yeah. The Chara response. It was... It's so it's so damn funny watching Cider just laugh as guys are like losing their minds, spittle coming out of their mouth, red in the face, like necks crane looking up at him. And he's just laughing because he knows he's a 20 year old kid talking to this 35 year old man who's angry at him. And he's still probably going to get the better of him in the scrum. I, I love that Brian Rust and the ref came in to try to keep him from getting at Sidney Crosby and they did nothing. Brian Rust came in. <laughs> And first of all, two things happened. One, more at Cider without taking his eyes or really his body away from Sid, who he was scrumming with, threw Rust to the side, like tossed him. And at first I'm like, did someone else yank him? Am I missing this? And I went back into the replay. I'm like, no, he just decided that Rust wasn't going to exist in that space anymore and physically moved a grown ass man. Uh, also, Lucas Raymond saw that Russ was grabbing cider, whoever, and just like did that thing where he raises his arm and comes down with a karate chop. <laughs> and then he, Russ grabs someone else and Raymond, who wasn't even being held by anyone, just yeah, karate chopped again. This is hysterical. Raymond really is the, the little brother who just wants to be involved in everything. Well, you know, I, the guy's got to like, he's not afraid to get his nose in the dirty areas either. No, he's not. Never has been. No, this isn't a new trait for him. It's all, it's just so funny. Like the juxtaposition of Raymond, who's, Next to Mo Sider looks the size of Brad. I actually think you guys might be the same height. I'm not entirely sure. But it's just funny calling Brad short. Um, Moritz Sider did Jimmy Howard proud in that. That's the first thing I thought. It was Jimmy Howard after um, Crosby was through those cross checks on Zetterberg in 08, 09. What year was that? I don't even remember this week. So Yeah, that's fair. Uh, and Howard grabbing uh Sidney Crosby's face with his trapper and then them going at it too that was it's a rite of passage for Red Wings players if you're a Red Wings star you do get to punch one of or both Sidney Crosby and Evgeny Malkin and Mo Sider got that out of the way early <laughs> I, didn't, I honestly didn't care what it's happened. got a hit list it's yeah. all the captains it's all the stuff Victor Hedman Sidney Crosby and we'll get to Austin Matthews in a second Nathan McKinnon watch out <laughs> Do we play the Oilers again? Uh, I'm not sure, but um, I don't joke too lightly about that, though. Connor McDavid's a scary man to play against. <laughs> Did you hear Ken talk about uh, bring up how McDavid put Morgan Riley on McDavid's career highlight reel? Sorry, I, say that again. You know the, the no, Mc no. I know what you're talking about. Who put who on what? Uh, McDavid put Morgan Riley on. McDavid's career highlight reel. That goal oh, yeah, where he yeah. stepped in and was looking away. What the hell is Ken Holland talking about that? Ken Holland, you dipshit. Ken Daniels. Oh, Ken Daniels. <laughs> I was like, what does Ken Holland have to do with any of this? Well, he's the GM of Edmonton. Yeah, but like, why would he talk about that? Why would you think Ken Holland? I, um, well, Ken Holland's been in the news recently. <laughs> I don't. <laughs> you really have had a shit weekend. Yeah, it's Sunday. <laughs> It's a Sunday. It's a Sunday every Thank other Thank God episode. I don't have to work tomorrow. You have the day off? No, I have to work tomorrow. Oh. Well, that's, I'm sad for you now. Yeah, it's going to be tough. Real tough. Uh, side of that whole game, though, and in overtime especially, the guy was all over the place. Defensive stops, dangles, clearing the zone, entering the zone, making stops at the blue line. He had a, a play in OT where he stopped... There was a give-and-go pass in Detroit's zone. Sider read it, stepped up, stole it, and then moved the puck up the ice for the scoring opportunity for Bertuzzi, which I think 
DeSmith either saved or Bertuzzi fired it over the net. But regardless, like the guy's an animal. He was everywhere. You had a line, Brad, that this is more Siders Calder weekend. And like a dramatic statement, yes. But when you like at the time when you said it, I'm like, yeah, I, I I'm watching this. I'm like, I don't know how you pick anyone else as rookie of the year. Has he done any cool things, though, Ryan? Yeah, he's done a bunch of cool shit. <laughs> yeah, but he didn't score Michigan. He Not yet. He doesn't play in California. He doesn't do cool things that the young TikTokers like, Ryan. Someone called... <laughs> what is that called? Zegras a TikTok NHLer? I'm like, is I... Me? <laughs> <laughs> Maybe. I really like Trevor Zegras, and I don't get, like, the... Um, I understand it, but I don't take part in like just the unbridled hate for him. I'm like, he's doing cool stuff. It's fun. Yeah. It's good for the league. It's good for hockey and it's Big good fan. competition. But calling him a TikTok and each other is objectively funny. That is hilarious. Yeah. Because it mostly doesn't make any sense to me because I don't really do TikTok. Oh, well, I don't do TikTok. Yeah. Us either. Right, Brad? But it make, it, it's just hilarious. I love it. It's such a boomer thing. Yeah. Uh, but before we talk about... Doesn't do the TikTok and pull the Werther's wrapper out of his pocket today. Lots <laughs> uh, of chocolate from Ryan's house. <laughs> before we, we talk about the shootout and uh, Raymond's winner, um, just a general overview of Raymond's game that night. It was good. It was noticeable. <laughs> I'm going to beat the shit out of you. <laughs> I'm going to punch you. I'm going to reach three feet down and punch you square in the gut. <laughs> Gravity, help me out. <laughs> Hit. God, I don't remember that game at all, and I watched the whole damn thing. Yeah. yeah, yeah. honestly, if you asked me to like name three Lucas Raymond plays that game beyond the shootout winner, I don't think I could. It's because of the Toronto game, but I think uh, Hockey Stat Cards tweeted out the, the Red Wings game impacts, and you see that Moritz Sider was by far the most impactful uh, Red Wings player on defense and on offense. Shocking. Including forwards and defense for both. Yep. He's... He's not mistake-free. Uh, every time you tweet about him, you get some people from either the opposing team's fandom or, or someone who's, I don't know, just wants to have a conversation. They're like, yeah, but he made this mistake. I'm like, yeah, of course. Every NHL player makes mistakes. And Moritz Sider is very much a 20-year-old player in his first year. If no one made mistakes, the scores would be like 58 to 72. Or 0-0. Zero, zero. Either or. Right? Because the goalies don't let anything in. Yeah. it's He makes such a forgivable amount of mistakes for a player of his caliber. And then you count in the fact that he's a rookie. He can make three, four, five times as many mistakes and he'd still be the best Red Wings defenseman. And it would be so forgivable because he's a rookie. A lot of nights now, a lot of nights now, Moritz Sider is in contention, if not undisputably the Red Wings best player on the ice. We talked about it last episode with Maxim Prashanth. We have to relitigate what this guy's ceiling is every single game, every time. I hate NHL comparables, and Moritz Sider is a fantastic example because who the hell do you even compare him to at this point? There isn't anyone. You can't. You can't. And if this all comes crashing down next year, and you know he has this terrible sophomore slump, or he comes back down to earth, and this is like a one-off, which I not I wouldn't put any money on that. We would still look back at the season and go, "What the hell? How is this kid coming into the league and doing this?" Anyhow, fun game from Cider. Had 10 different moves that were notable or, or plays. And uh, Lucas Raymond, first shootout goal, ended up being the game winner. Hell yeah, the only shootout goal. Yeah. So Calvin, was, Calvin Pickard was in one that night. Calvin Pickard, I, and I wanted to save him. So good. 
Both goalies played really well, I thought. Yeah. Oh, DeSmith's robbery on Larkin <laughs> in OT. Mel was watching, and Mel went, oh. I was like, yeah, that was filthy. Larkin went over and said something to him. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. How do you not after that one? That was sick. That was disgusting. It was a good game. Um, Man, just having fun, intense games against Pittsburgh and Toronto back-to-back bring you back to, like, old-school Red Wings. I'm still shocked how good Chris Letang is after everything he's gone through. He is remarkably good at hockey still. He's one of those guys where I have egg on my face because at his first decline, I'm like, well, who's paying all this money for Chris Letang or who's going to give all... Didn't he have a stroke too yeah. and stuff? Like a bunch blood- of like really serious medical... Stroke, blood clots. Yeah. There's multiple times where I think he had medical advice not to come back. Well, that would have been a bad thing for Pittsburgh. Yeah. Yeah, no kidding. He's... Uh, that- He's extremely impressive, and his longevity is extremely impressive. Yeah. The average NHLer and a lot of above-average NHLers would have called it quits for good reason before him. Or at played and not at his level. Not like he needed the money either, right? No. Yeah. Fun game, I think. I don't know. That was two days ago. That could be. That could have been six years. <laughs> Dude, you need a nap. The 9 finals seem a lot more recent than that game we saw on Friday night. There were no 9 finals. I don't know it what you're talking about. trick question. Yeah. Here we go. Um, any other points to talk about? Calvin Pickard was fantastic. If we get to a point next year, let's say the Red Wings like Grice walk and they just go into Delkovich Pickard, I'm pretty satisfied. Yeah, he's good. I don't think capable backup. The Red Wings don't need their backup to be anything special. And on years where they're not competing for the playoffs, it's fine if they don't, it's fine if they don't have like a really good backup stealing games. I mean, there's a draft pick argument in there, but yeah, I, I thought he was great. That was, uh, his celebration, his like little, Yes, (laughs) Yes, <laughs> when they yeah. won, he was. Uh, it was it was nice to see him get that win. He doesn't get a lot of time in net, so that was good. The Toronto game, Brad. You seem the most upset, so you go. You start. Uh, you walk us through it. No. Yeah. Forty minutes of heaven followed by twenty minutes of hell. There you go. Mm-mm. <laughs> Mm-mm. We're done. Welcome. Thank you for tuning into this episode. Well, blah blah blah. Yeah. No. It was. Uh, Red Wings came out of the gate really, really, really strong. Got the one nothing lead like immediately off uh, Larkin Breakway goal because, you know, he's good at those things. Really got this hockey thing figured out. Toronto gets a fluky goal to tie it with like, what, five minutes left in the period-ish? Something like that. It was really late in the period. Yeah, because whatever it was, the Red Wings were all over yeah, yeah. Toronto for most of that period. The shots on goal made it look a little more dramatic than it actually was, but the Red Wings were definitely the better period better team in that period and then once the Leafs got that fluky goal they got caved for the remainder of said period but it was only a few minutes and nothing came of it so it was fine and then the Red Wings came out in the second period like a bat out of hell uh two quick goals Mesnikov and Bertuzzi Bertuzzi's was cool because Cider as he so often does forces a turnover in the neutral zone Uh, I think I phrased it on the goal tweet as cross the blue line Tried some cool shit. Bertuzzi picked up the mess and went in and ripped it. Yeah. Um, Toronto got a, I don't want to say lucky goal. It was a really good tip by Bunting, but they got a pretty lucky deflection late in the period. And then Larkin's like, to hell with that. Restores the two goal lead on the power play, no less. Mm-hmm. Interesting. It's three straight games with a power play goal. They've been listening. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> So then it goes into second. That must be it. Yeah. Well, where did that pass come from? Below the goal line. Yeah, weird. 
Weird. And how did Robbie Fabry get below the goal line? Oh, he was moving. Mm. Weird. But, um, and then, yeah. So the Red Wings spent the first majority of the first 40 minutes of the game feeding the Leafs their lunch. And they scored three goals in that second period. And I still feel like at best, they left two or three on the board. They were going so fast, I couldn't even keep up with Morazic made a couple huge saves. They had a couple other close calls that just missed. Like, it could have easily been 6-2, 7-2 coming out of that second period for the Red Wings. Um, but it, they didn't all go in. It happens. You know, Philip Zadina can tell you. And then goes into the third period with a 4-2 lead. Twitch, I think everybody had the same feeling. At least it was in 4-1. Oh, I, yeah, I would not have been interested in any kind of like. I don't want to be tied to that <laughs> inversion of the curse yet. Before we get into the third period, because it's a story we've all heard before, et cetera, et cetera. Again, Moritz Sider has no business doing the things he does with his skates and with the puck that he does at his height. What is he six? He must. He's got to be six, 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 seven on skates. On skates, yeah. The way he moves is remarkable it's so fluid and we've talked about it before but he genuinely moves so fluidly and i'm not talking like kale mccarr no one's kale mccarr but for a defenseman of his physical stature he could be way more choppy and clunky and just like an oafish and still be the red wings best defenseman but he skates so smooth there was a play where he had that spinorama in the neutral zone and that was impressive like that it, remarkably impressive and if I'm the person doing the NHL weekly highlight reels, I'm putting that on every time. But even before that, he picks the puck up. He reads the play. He sees that there's a line change. He sees that there aren't Red Wings breaking in where he needs them to be. There's too much traffic in front of him. And he he holds the puck and brings it back and circles around. It makes a play in the neutral zone where a lot of other players would have messed it up or you know skated straight into the guy or tried to dump it in right there and had lost the puck and maybe an odd man break the other direction. Six spinorama on, on Mitch Marner. Never mind the fact of what happened when the puck then went in the zone after that. But his ability to read the play and use his physical tools in skating and puck handling to just reset like that. The Red Wings haven't had that. The Red Wings couldn't even break in the zone on their first try before. He just changes the game. There's a play in his own zone where I don't know the attacker who was bearing in on him. But he had pretty much the angle on the puck and could have, you know, edged Sider out on the puck or got it past him and poked around him on the boards. What Sider do? Tapped it between his own legs and spun around and broke out of the zone by passing to Bertuzzi. If he did that twice a season, we'd be looking at those replays all season. He must have done that 10 times between over the last two games. He does it at that exact move at the opposing blue line. Yeah. Yeah. Which, I mean, <laughs> has failed before. Not often. Like ride or die at Yeah. <laughs> Fuck it. Why not? Just go balls out. But he was uh, he was absolutely stellar. And, and it's really cool to see him showcase that in front of a massive audience. Because, you know, whether Red Wings fans like to admit it or not, Toronto brings, brings an incredible, large national audience. And seeing Sider show that off. I mean, he was on the ice for, I think, at least one of Toronto's comeback goals. But the whole Red Wings team in general looked terrible. Um, Vladdy, man, Nemesnikov is just such a, we talk about Bertuzzi being a heart and soul player and he is, Nemesnikov's the same thing for me. I think he likes being here. No shit. 
It's hard to trade guys like that. I know everybody's got their price, but it is very difficult to trade guys who have passion for the place they play. I think the Red Wings window to just move guys to maximize assets is closing. And that's a rare opportunity for teams to get that without any kind of, you know, thought of the consequences because they're not competing for playoffs or anything. And it, you know, the room that you have now isn't going to be the room that you have when you're in the playoffs in two or three years. That window of opportunity is is getting to the tail end for the Red Wings. So I know they don't want to pass up the chances to move guys like Letty and Nemesnikov. And if the right offer comes in, maybe bigger names. But I would not blame Steve Eisman for keeping Nemesnikov. I would not blame Jeff Blashill for going to Steve Eisman and saying, hey, this guy means too much to the room. Don't get rid of him. Keep him, extend him, do whatever. He's been – I just love what he's brought to the team. Oh, yeah. And because um, last year he was very underwhelming. I think he had like nine goals and I feel like eight of them were empty netters. I think that was the actual stat, something like that. Jesus. Uh, but yeah, so this year he's he's been doing everything for the Red Wings, killing penalties, plugging in on the power play when needed. Not that that's been going well, but playing on the top line, playing on the third line, briefed in on the second line. He's played well in every role. Like the Red Wings top line doesn't feel like they've lost a whole hell of a lot since Bertuzzi went to prop up the second line. And um Man, like, yeah, what what more could you ask of the guy? The only thing going against him right now is he's pretty damn close to 30 years old, which isn't a death sentence for every NHL player, but, like, you have to expect the decline any year now. Yeah. So when talking, if you are extending him, it, it's got to be short term. But, yeah, there's value to that. Players like him are are so, so valuable to any team where they can just play any role up and down the lineup and do it well if it would have to be the right offer like it would have to be a team coming in and and meeting a sufficient standard of hey here's a prospect you either wouldn't have had a look at or here's a a pick in a decent round second or better or i probably don't do it you you don't do it for a third day probably not and i think i'm there with you it's too much value up and down the lineup for just a third and you can, you know you can extend him easily. And yeah. you know you could have another crack, kick, kick at the can with him to if you want to wait to move him for a team that's more desperate at the next deadline, right? That being said, this entire conversation goes out the window. Steve Eisman goes, hey, Vladdy, uh, we want to extend you. And then by the deadline comes around, they can't agree to anything. I would just have a hard time believing that if the guy grabs the window. No, no, I agree. I, I'm saying it's unlikely. But if Eisman cannot get him extended, then yeah, you yeah. definitely trade him for whatever you can. But I think he seems like the type of guy who... Most players aren't willing to take hometown discounts. He might. Yeah. The um, Larkin and Bertuzzi production, I, I know we talk about it a lot and I keep raising the point, but, you know, they're on points. They're on paces for like 84 and 86 points for Larkin and Bertuzzi, respectively, 45 to 46 goals ish each for them. Like they're not slowing down. They don't have this isn't like a one off. You know that this is their ability to to produce this way. Right now, the move is to build around them. And I know that was never really a question with Larkin, but, you know, in fairness to us, who who we've been the ones bringing up the, the do you trade Bertuzzi conversation because of the tough contract negotiations and the back surgery, there is a strong argument, and I think it is the strongest argument to keep Bertuzzi. Like, unless something absolutely astronomical comes in in terms of an offer for him, you don't even think about it. Well, without getting into the same conversation for the third episode in a row, 
It all depends on what he wants to do. If he's going to be another problem contract negotiation, and if it looks like he's going to walk to UFA, you never get more value than you would right now. I just love the fact that they're down two goals with 11 seconds left. He lays out his body to block yeah. to block two shots at an empty net, which those had to have hurt, and then jumped in the air swinging his stick to try to block the third. When the game was over, it was done. Like, that is the ultimate ultimate coaches player and also doesn't come with like the uh oh he coaches player is only the fourth liner who scores one backhand every 45 games it's not that, that is also the red wings that that's been a lot <laughs> yeah that's been a lot of the red wings coaches players but bertuzzi is on pace for 85 points uh in his rip like that shot was sick man <laughs> i had i i don't have a morazic joke but well yeah. he was not good well, he didn't have to be because his team then went out and scored five goals in the third. Before we get into the third period meltdown, I first want to tell you that today's show is proudly brought to you by the FanDuel Sportsbook, a sponsor that gives hockey fans what we really need even more excitement. There's so many reasons why FanDuel is America's number one sportsbook. Uh, they're easy to use from registrations to, to, to deposits and finding your bets. Withdrawals are quick and easy. FanDuel pays your winnings back in as little as 24 hours, and they are constantly running odds boosts and specials uh, every day with some big super boosts each weekend. Now listen to this. FanDuel is letting you place your first bet risk-free up to $1,000. Just place a bet on any game and FanDuel will refund you up to $1,000 back in site credit if you don't win your first bet. No, string, no strings attached. If you win, you keep the cash. If you lose, you get that one grand back in site credit. What we want you to do is download the FanDuel Sportsbook app to get started with that risk-free bet of up to $1,000. And be sure to sign up with promo code WWP so they know the Winged Wheel podcast sent you. That's FanDuel Sportsbook promo code WWP. You must be 21 and older and present in New Jersey, Pennsylvania, Illinois, West Virginia, Indiana, Colorado, Iowa, Tennessee, Virginia, or Michigan. First online real money wager only. Site credit is non-withdrawable and expires in 14 days. Restrictions apply. See sportsbook.fanduel.com for details. If you have a gambling problem, call 1-800-522-4700 in Colorado. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-9-WITH-IT in Indiana. 1-800-GAMBLER in New Jersey, Pennsylvania, Illinois, and Virginia. Tennessee Redline 1-800-889-9789. 1-800-GAMBLER.net in West Virginia. Or call 1-800-270-7117 in Michigan. All right. The Red Wings third period. They played in Pittsburgh the night before, went to overtime, went to the shootout. Tough, grindy game. They had travel in between. Uh, you mentioned, Brad, that that was their third game in four nights. Two intense periods against the Leafs. But the Red Wings that were there for the first two periods were gone in the third. And what we saw was the quintessential Red Wings where I think for all but a few occasions this season, their third period was absolutely atrocious. And you can just see it coming. You had an ultra-talented Toronto Maple Leafs team who, by all rights, played like they, – they had spurts where they played like garbage the first two periods. And they found their rhythm. They found their mojo a little bit in the third. And they were just coming at Detroit in waves, like just hammering them. And you were watching it happen. You're like, they can't stain this. And they didn't. And they didn't. The Red Wings ended up losing the game – what was the final score? 7-4? 7-4. Yeah. Larkin's power play goal that we talked about. So the second period went Nemestikov, Bertuzzi, Bunting got uh, his first of the game. He ended up with a hat trick. Surprise, surprise. Uh, and then Larkin's power play goal that we talked about. That was in the second. And then in the third period, Bunting. Bunting again. Rasmus Sandin. Mitch Marner. And John Tavares. Five unanswered goals. 
Losing in the third period against one of the best teams in hockey, against arguably one of the most potent offenses in hockey, against the best power play in hockey right now, is nothing to be ashamed of. Losing to that team when you're playing your third game in four nights, you had travel in between on a back-to-back, you're gassed. And they did; they honestly did look gassed. Nothing to be ashamed of. But it was, I'd be ashamed of that. That's embarrassing. Well, that's giving what, up five goals in the third period. And that's what I was going to say. The five goals after the first two periods you just had, it's like the team did a 180. What happened? I don't know. They had, they gave, <laughs> I wouldn't be here if I did. <laughs> the Penguins game was fun. Let's not forget. They blew a third period, laid that one too. Oh, that one only took them 23 seconds. So, uh, the Red Wings have given up. What is that now? 10 third period goals in those three games. They weren't that tired for the Chicago game. They still gave up four in that third period. I don't think the Red I think the Red Wings are a long way off from the the worst team in the league. That is not even contestable. No, they're a middle of the pack close to, if you if you split the league into thirds, they're towards the bottom of the second third. Exactly right. They got to be one of the worst third period teams in the league. They've allowed the most third period goals in the NHL. So if you want it's a very simple metric but that's a pretty good indication they might be the worst third period team in the league there's a couple things to consider here and i think the most obvious one that needs to be stated first before anything else the detroit red wings have a god-awful defensive corp i'm 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 sorry there's we've talked about it before there's a lot to be excited about obviously mo sider been fantastic ronick you know is has (laughs) Hironic is not playing his worst hockey. Can we call him a one-way defenseman now? Because I still really like Hironic when he has the puck on his stick. Yes. I really don't like him this year when the, he doesn't have the puck on his stick. Here's the thing. <laughs> we Hironic's not a top-pairing defenseman. And we have to know that he's going to be a number three, four guy. Preferably four, because that means there's one, two, and three ahead of him. If, if you break this down by pairs, he's the number three defenseman right now. The Red Wings' left side is completely... There's nothing to be said for it. Nick Letty, I, I'm desperate for them to move him back up with Mo Sider to hopefully elevate his game to showcase him so they can get more for him at the deadline. He's brought elements to the Red Wings defensive group that they just didn't have, like a play style, the ability to move the puck up the ice to make some good decisions. Like He is an improvement over what they had in the past, but he is far beyond his best years. Anyhow, what I'm saying is the Red Wings have a terrible defense. They do, plain and simple. That's bad enough against an average team. When you play the Pens or the Leafs, that's going to be absolutely exposed. So if your team is going to try to protect the lead, which means inherently sitting back and parking the bus to steal a soccer term, you're going to get exposed. And that was the biggest glaring hole in in the Red Wings uh, game, especially towards the end. First, the optimistic view. This defense is an improvement on the last two years. Man, how did we survive those years? Mm. a lot of bullshit a lot of shit posting oh my god we let evan have a lot of golf talk yeah like because nick letty is a huge upgrade on i can't even remember whoever the hell he replaced and he he's not good he's not great no he's, he's and he's not and he's on a particularly poor stretch at the moment this is some of his worst hockey all year yeah like if most cider wasn't here this might be you know uh 2021 red wings levels of defense 
And that's fine. We knew none of this is a surprise, right? Like this isn't an yeah. indictment on Blashill, on Eisman, right? Like this defensive group, there's no configuration. It's essentially more outsider. I actually think one thing that they've done that they did great for those two games is no DeKaiser put Osterley in, and I think that freed yeah. Sider up a little I, bit. Well, welcome to the lineup, Osterley. You're on the top pairing. Healthy scratch <laughs> to top pairing. That's the Detroit Red Wings. Oh, defense. yeah. You want to play uh, no. eight minutes a night? No, you cannot do that. The, the only worst part about that statement is, hey, we put our healthy scratch on the top pairing, is that it was a noticeable upgrade. And it was the right move. <laughs> but anyways, yeah. So I wanted to talk about this whole parking the bus mentality because I've seen this happen so often that it's become a, a parody of itself and a meme and all that stuff. And the everybody starts yelling about Blash Hill and there's a fire Blash Hill petition going on change.org right now. Like the, the <laughs> Is there actually? There I was tweeted at me four times today. Um, <laughs> the fan base is mad. I wonder if Obama will see that one. Probably. It's tabling it for the house this week. But I think people misunderstand what parking the bus means. Because I think a lot of people have it in their mind that it just means the Red Wings are going to do nothing but chip and chase. They're going to let the other team have the puck. And then they're just going to run a five-man, like basically a box with a bumper in their own zone. And that's, of course, not what they're doing. Um. There's two ways to handle a third period lead. One of them I strongly agree with. One of them I don't agree with, but I can see how it works in certain instances. The one that I am a big fan of and that I would deploy if I were coach, if you're dominating a team for 40 minutes, change nothing. It's working. Everything that you've been doing that game and whatever the game plan is to that point, keep doing it. I want to push back on that when you're done your point. Yeah. What? parking the bus means in hockey is it's basically playing no risk hockey. You're coming into the opposition blue line in what could be an advantageous one-on-one position. Don't take the chance to turn it over and start a fast break the other way. Get that puck deep, do what you're going to do. So it does turn into a lot of chip and chase. You want to run a cycle in the offensive zone? Fantastic, but only two guys deep. We're keeping that third guy high. Okay, yeah, there's obviously going to ease up on the offense, but hey, no odd man rush is going that. Um, Defenseman has an opportunity to pinch up the wall in an offensive zone situation. Nope, don't risk it. Just get it to your next guy and hold your position. Don't want to give up the odd man rush. Um, When you're in neutral zone transitions, don't overcommit on your guy. Hold your line, whether you're running a 1-2-2 or a 3-2, just clog up the neutral zone don't give them anything and when you're on your own zone have your man don't overcommit. you know passive defense keep between you and your guy at all points which is actually sound defensive strategy the red wings again like you pointed out earlier just don't have the personnel to do that effectively yeah that's all that means is it's just playing risk averse hockey but when you do that when you don't activate the defense as much when you chip and chase more when you basically give up odd man numbers on a cycle because you're not putting three guys below the hash marks is you give up possession a lot. And that's why the other team who is now desperate because they are losing and are going to do the exact opposite, take more risks, push harder. They're going to have the puck a lot more. And that's why we see stuff like, you know, uh, game score shot metrics where the trailing team always outshoots score the winning team score effect. Yeah. They always end up outshooting. 
the team that's winning. Yeah, of course. This is this is exactly why because these are not uncommon hockey tactics. Losing team, all out blitz. Winning team, hey, let's not take any chances. Let's not give them any free goals. But like what Ryan happens when you're a team like the Red Wings and you go into not a defensive shell because that's not the right word, even though that's how we quantify it, like or how we meme about it. Is you're now giving, and more often than not, a superior team to you the puck more. And if you're the Red Wings, especially with their defense, you do not have the personnel to hold up when the other team has the puck more. And then momentum gets away from them, even though momentum is a bit of a myth, but still, you can see when it pours on and it pours on and it pours on, and then you get what happened last night. So that's all I want people to understand about if you're going to criticize Blashill. It's fair because I do not like the way he handles third periods at all. We've been we've been going on about this particular thing for literally his entire tenure with the Wings. This is not new. Um, that's what they do. And was it the Red Wings had one chance, like one good chance, while they were up early in the third period, and that was because Lucas Raymond beat a guy one on one at the opposite blue line. Like he probably got in trouble for that. <laughs> like it's that's. So the yeah. question is, and this is this is part of, you know, when you're analyzing and when you're covering something and when you're getting together in a studio and talking three times or twice a week about this, you have to kind of identify where you're speculating. And one area where I want to speculate for a second, this isn't information, is do you think that this is part of the actual game plan? from Blashill and his coaching staff? Or do you think this is the Red Wings as a team? You know, we talk about that they don't have the personnel. They also don't have the experience and they haven't been winning for very long to play a full 60-minute game. And despite the fact that Blashill might be saying, hey, keep playing your game, you're running them over, this team who's gassed and kind of crumbles mentally is kind of just falling apart on their own. The pessimistic view for me on that one is just flat out no. You can you can visibly see the changes in their systems in the third period. You can see the differences. Any there's a reason fan bases the fan base is so up in arms when this happens over and over again because they see the difference. The optimistic view is maybe Blashill has changed his tune on that, and the old habits are just hard to kick. The players still revert back to an old system. I don't believe that. But it does happen because when things get panicky, what do you do? You go to what you know. Play it safe. You don't want to be the guy, yeah. the third guy below the hash marks and all yeah. of a sudden there's an odd man break, right? I exactly. So it's definitely both. But the fact that this has happened, Blashill's entire tenure, where there's smoke, there's fire. Like the, he's, he's definitely, even if he's not changing the systems, which I don't really think he's changing the systems. He's changing the mentality of how to utilize the system. Like I said, if you get in a 50-50, safe play, safe play, which again, as I was reverting to is don't pinch, chip and chase, you know, keep a third guy high. Like those are, that's all that's changing. But it, in a, at the professional levels, that changes a lot in the game because for no other reason, you are giving the puck to the other team more. It's as simple as that. Even if. Your 1-2-2 two, two doesn't change. If your defensive zone structure doesn't change, if your O-zone structure doesn't change, it's still resulting in less possession for you, more for them. And you couple that with the fact that that team that's trailing is going to push harder now. This is why this cascade effect happens. Because to argue my own point, though, because it is the catch-22, because I'm a big advocate of, hey, if you're running a very aggressive system all game, uh, which the Red Wings were doing very successfully for the first two periods against the Leafs. 
don't change it. Keep doing it. It was working. Keep doing it. But then it just takes out one time. Mo Sider or Nick Letty or Philip Ronick gets aggressive at the blue line, makes a pinch. It doesn't work. Two on one the other way, tie game. Oh, that looks bad on the coach too. So I get I get the fear yeah. to do it. I absolutely get the fear to do it. And everything I'm describing in the prevent defense can work if you have the talent to do it. The Red Wings don't. It's really funny. It, we were talking about this last night with Max and Prashanth a little bit and um, went and looked at it. And we uh, referenced HockeyViz, Micah McCurdy's site, which is awesome. Uh, looked at the, the score effects based on shot rates. When the Red Wings are up by two, they are the sample is smaller. It's about like a quarter. I feel, I feel like that's three games this year. It's 117 minutes total where they're it's up. It's not two. even two games. Meanwhile, by up by one, 417 minutes tied, 786 minutes down one, 368 down two, 284. You get the so yeah, it's barely a sample size. But they up by two. They are an incredible team, apparently. <laughs> But hey, it's fair. You get a buffer so you don't play scared because you can give up one and you're not screwed yet. I mean, it didn't matter at all last night, but it it's, it's kind of the same mentality with goalies, right? It's why they say, hey, if you're a goalie and you want to bomb for the empty net, two goal lead, shoot your heart out. Yeah. But as soon as it gets to a one goal lead, you don't do that. Same mentality. Well, let us know your thoughts. Uh, was this just a tired team against a really great team? Was this that, just that both definitely factored in? Yeah. It's a measured Brad, huh? That was really well done by him. Don't tell him. There was no yelling. Yeah, don't tell him I said that. No, all the yelling was done last night on my couch. Yeah, he called me actually. (laughs) Did he really? Yeah. No, he didn't. Oh, okay. Oh, you you looked at me like he actually did. Whenever Brad calls me, it's either incredibly good news or, hey, I just... uh, I'm in the hospital. Yeah, I played (laughs) hockey with my kid. I I took a slap shot and hit my daughter in the face. (laughs) Either one of me or my daughter took a slap shot at the other, and now one of us is bleeding slash both, and we need 45 stitches. I'll be four minutes late for the podcast. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Hey, there was only one time I was late for the podcast because I had to get stitches. Yeah, another time I think... That wasn't even a podcast. That was a live stream, actually. I think we had to convince you another time to sit this one out. You're like, I can come, but I won't be able to talk much. And Evan and I I were like, just don't come, man. Oh, I I had stitches in my mouth. Yes. Yeah. (laughs) Do I need to talk? It didn't hurt. I was fine. Anyhow. Any excuse I can find. It was just because I was getting stitches on the way here. (laughs) Because I think I had an afternoon game that weekend. And then I was. It's a quick four hour pit stop at Grand My plan was literally to go from my game to the hospital here. Yeah, you're a crazy person. Why? I need. Fine. Why? I don't know. You're born like that. I can only assume. I don't know. Whatever lab they made you and they messed up. Didn't hurt to talk or anything. It was fine. (laughs) Unfortunately for all of us. Um, I still wasn't there. You guys are like, no, okay. The uh, the best part of that game still, despite all the excitement, and I know we spent you know fifty minutes talking about those two games. That's how at least notable the Red Wings hockey was. Um, first trolling Victor Hedman in his first ever NHL game, Moritz Sider, <laughs> and getting into it with him and Sergachev, and then Sidney Crosby the night before the Toronto game, like literally like punching Sidney Crosby in the face, and then him and Austin Matthews get into it. like. <laughs> I didn't. I missed that. Well, that's because Travis Dermott came in very quickly to help out Austin, oh. to which Mo Sider literally laughed at him. It was more like the fight between Nemesnikov and Bunting, and then the there was this. The, I do remember that part. Yeah, the real action happened before or after, but uh, it started with 
I, Larkin caught bunting with an elbow in the face, I believe, late in the play. And then uh, Matthews and Sider were going at it. And man, is there any better way, aside from being a surprise, incredible pick, possibly the best player or one of the best players in your draft in a year where people were shocked and some disappointed that you're selected, aside from being just like a likable guy overall, aside from being a phenomenal defenseman at 20 years old in your rookie season, aside from being a physical freak, punching the best players of the Red Wings rivals in the face continuously on three separate occasions is just the best way to endear yourself to hockey town. <laughs> like we said from the moment most siders in Grand Rapids, this guy actually when he was in uh oh Grand Rapids and then Rogla, this guy's going to be a fan favorite in Detroit and he has not disappointed. Not even a little. It is. We got, we have to be so annoying to other fan bases. I feel bad for non Red Wings people who follow us. I'm like, they must just say to their phones every time, Ryan, shut the hell up about Mo Cider. But we have no choice. He's not given anybody a choice. I can't. I made a quick montage today of the Headman and then the Crosby and then Matthews. I can't wait to see how long that gets by the end of the season. <laughs> All right. NHL news. Evander Kane. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. You know what? Took him how long to score? Not Five bad. minutes? Yep. Through all this, people Ken forget. Ken Holland, genius, GM of the year. Enjoy your award. Oh, man. If Ken Holland gets GM of the year, people would lose their damn minds. He's going to get a vote. I'll bet. You think so? I'll bet. I if the others make the playoffs. But they put themselves in this position. Oh, I know. <laughs> I I know. I hated just about everything he's done since he got there. But I don't think uh, McDavid or Dreisaitl got a point last night. Oh and they won. No, there's no way. They won 7-1. Yeah, I refuse. Maybe believe. it was a goal. It was seven two. Seven two. There's yeah. no way McDavid and Drysaddle didn't have points on seven well, goals. Pull it up, Ryan. Drysaddle goal. Oh well. Drysaddle two goals. <laughs> yeah. I, hey, I was listening to CBC <laughs> after. <laughs> two goals for Drysaddle, which for McDavid and Drysaddle is actually a quiet night. Yeah, that means five goals not from McDavid and Drysaddle. Yeah. I don't know what the hell I saw, heard. I don't know what the hell I heard it. then. I don't know, man. Yeah. What what it's been like? You, this isn't your weekend, man. I don't I don't know. I uh, actually tried to invite myself over to Evans Hot Tub this weekend. No luck. That's though. what I thought that was. I was. Like I'm on my couch with Fred. I was like, there's no way. Oh, I was like, yeah, mostly joking. There's no way I was going to get out the door and drive to your house to sit in a hot tub for an it hour. It was minus thirty five degrees. In. Yeah, not a, not interested in that at all. So what is what's uh, Kane's overall compensation? Like a million bucks for the rest Isn't of the it year? Seven fifty. Or sorry, it's prorated. Right? Yeah, he ends up with some cash for the rest of the year. It is what it is. Keep that away from that man. <laughs> well, he's in Edmonton, right? Not really much. It's not Vegas, like people were speculating. Still know. too close. <laughs> is he the answer in Edmonton? No, no, but if I'm Ken Holland, I'm rolling the dice. Probably can't be surprised. He was probably the fir- he was probably the first person who called Evander Kane. Ken Holland, big culture guy. Yeah. Yeah, aside from, you know, allegations and and whatnot aside, when I say aside, I don't take that lightly, there's still the very well-known aspect of Evander Kane, which is most of his teammates have hated him. (laughs) And very publicly in some instances. Yeah. When guys throw your clothes in the shower and they don't deny it to the media, that's just... Evander Kane is not a goalie, and I think you 
pointed that out when he walked into my house a few couple episodes ago. And and Edmonton. When the rumor started. Yeah. yeah. Oh, I didn't know Vander Kane played net. Edmonton still has some moves that they can make, but I don't know. He was uh he was absolved or he was um he wasn't punished by the NHL for the supposed COVID violations. And I don't know, like, we don't know the full details of that. So I'm not going to pretend that that's the right or wrong decision. Certainly looked like it was an automatic case from what the details that were r- reported. But we've learned before that that's not necessarily the totality of it all. But yeah, I don't know, man. I don't know if it's enough to bring uh, Edmonton out of the hole. You can't be surprised that the whole team's going to get behind it, though, because they're just looking for any kind of boost. All the baggage that comes with them be damned. But if it does explode. Anything at the cost to try and win. It's going to be entertaining as hell. I'll say that. Arizona. You were right. It was confirmed that they are like even Arizona State confirmed that they are in on those negotiations. What are we doing here? I can't even believe it. I still can't. Imagine Shane Wright plays his first NHL game in that building. God, I, It makes me sick. It, it's actually probably the most likely arena for him to play his first NHL game in right now, if you were to put betting odds on it. Come on, it. Buffalo. Save us. <laughs> I don't want him no. in our division. No, man. <laughs> keep, if we don't get him, keep him as he saves far west as possible. Montreal. <laughs> no. It's... It's rehashing the same points as last episode, but it just it bears repeating. It's remarkable in the worst of ways that the NHL might go in this direction. And, you know, moving a team is not something that can happen overnight. There is no world where Gary Bettman was going to come out and say, no, I won't let this happen. We're going to relocate them to Houston, whatever first. That's just not the way those moves happen. If and when Gary Bettman decides to pull the plug and move into a backstop, which I think Houston is the obvious first choice there based on market and the want for it and et cetera, et cetera, um, everything is going to be signed, seals completed, the I's dotted, the T's crossed, everything prepared so that it's going to be like Atlanta Thrashers moved out into Winnipeg situation where all of a sudden it's going to be like a cold bucket of water to the face of Arizona Coyotes fans and it's going to be done before you even knew it was coming. But still, watching this unfold, Arizona, oh yeah, we're going to play here for three to four years. And everyone's like, for three to four years, 5,000 people, you're going to make no money off that? Like, how's the rest of the league going to prop that up? They should have their own arena. And everyone else saying, well, it takes three to four years to buy your own, or to build a, a new arena, which is a fair thing. But then you're like, you shouldn't even be in this situation. This shouldn't even be where you're at and like yeah could the nhl bear this for three to four years financially and and logistically yeah sure but it's still an embarrassment i've been a staunch supporter of keep the team where they are because i would like to see it succeed and i think hockey's the greatest game on earth and i want to see that you know expand and grow and for them to take their roots the nhl did it in california in multiple spots the nhl hockey in texas is huge to the point now where we're talking about two teams like it's not crazy and i would love for it to have happened but I'm with you, Brad. What the hell? What are we doing? Do you think I'm trying to think of a a relevant team in another major sports league? Sacramento Kings. Do you think if they were going to play in a 5,000 person stadium, arena, court, whatever they want to call it, that Adam Silver would be like, yeah, sure. That's a great idea. Let's do that for three to four years while you build an arena. No, they'd be moved to literally anywhere. Mexico. They'd be Los 
Kings. C. <laughs> 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 Be careful. The Latin Kings jokes on here might trigger something. You really, you really came close on that one. Eh? You just squeeze and that's, you were close. To I'm definitely having- convinced that that's not right at all. <laughs> Lost but Kings. no one's told me anything else. <laughs> Lost Kings. You you were so hey, close if to not you just, able to utter anything, but you came out with that, and that was the best that we could have. If you throw uh, the word Angelus in the middle of that, you have a professional hockey team. Oh, well, there we go. That that won't be confusing at all. <laughs> <laughs> no, and it's, the whole crux of this for me... So like to take a hypothetical on another team, we'll go extreme stupid here just for the sake of it. If Us? It, extreme stupid? If... A tornado ripped through downtown Toronto tomorrow and demoed Scotiabank Arena. And the NHL's like, well, we don't want to lose the Leafs, so we are going to have the Leafs play in the Kitchener Memorial Auditorium for the next three years while we rebuild that. Everybody be like, yeah, okay. Because you know you're they're walking back to a sold-out 20,000-seat arena the second it opens and a, and a rabid fan base. Okay, makes sense. You're going to dump, you know, a couple hundred mil into an arena for a successful franchise. Yeah, these few years are going to suck. You're going to lose a lot of money, but it'll all be made back at the end of it. Okay. I think everybody be on board. It's been 25 years of failure in Arizona. You're going to spend- This isn't like a one-off event. No, yeah, exactly. You're going to dump even more money into this elaborate arena as you're losing money and then come back and continue- to not make money to the point where the NHL and revenue sharing have to prop you up and keep you alive. It's beyond idiocy. The 5,000 fans will be able to spread out just a little bit more in that much larger arena. It's been such a slow burn into this. And for it, like at points, the dissension has been, or this dissent has been so like level, almost like a plateau where it fooled you. But you get to this point, you're right, Brad, this isn't, some one-off catastrophic thing that no one could have seen coming. It's just been a Unless circus. You're Gary and that, well, yeah. I don't think his visits to Quebec City have been all um, like posturing. I think a lot of it is. It can definitely light some fires under some people. And that's what it's mostly used for. But I, I would be shocked if they didn't have contingency plans in Houston, Quebec City, and probably beyond that as well. Kansas City, maybe. I'm not sure. I think it would be – I would personally love Quebec City, but Houston is the biggest metropolitan area in North America that doesn't have an NHL team right now, and that is just free money for hockey. That is free money for the NHL and the owner. Man, imagine you take a poll of the owners right now and you say, do we do this plan three to four years at Arizona State University Arena, and then the Arizona Coyotes still have to build a fan base – to come to their new arena, wherever it is, after it gets approved, whenever I don't like all of that, or do we just move them to Houston right now? So do they move the team or do they force the owner to sell to a new ownership group? Yeah, it's a bunch. It's it gets complicated. It's a bunch of bullshit. Uh, it doesn't matter. Yeah, it's <sighs> that. That's the weird part about it because the as scummy as they've proven to be, this is the first time the Coyotes have had proper full ownership in a while. Like the Morellos. Have money, however scummy ways they came across. They have it. They own the team. They're eventually paying their bills. Um, so Batman could go, yeah, this is awful. We're going to Houston. And the owners can go, no. 
And then it becomes this big legal well, battle. Well, then he just does this PowerPoint where it's like, okay, here's what happens if we don't do this. This yeah. is how much money you as a profitable owner who's doing all the right yeah. things have to give to these delinquents. Yeah. Yeah. Like, I'm sure there's some mechanism where Batman can force their hand. Like, it happened in the NBA with Donald Sterling. Like, they can... Majority vote or something. something like that. Yeah. Um because I think it was Friedman was talking about it because there's two options. If if the owners are willing to sell and it goes south, they sell the team. And uh, who is it? Fertitta, somebody, I forget his last name. And Houston goes, yep, I'll buy him. Here's your check, Mr. Murillo. And the Coyotes are now the Houston Arrows or whatever. Or the NHL buys the Coyotes. Here you go, Mr. Murillo. There's your check for the team. All right, and we can start the building bidding for this, exp- uh, not expansion, but for this NHL franchise. Who wants it? And then he can pick Quebec City against Houston, against Kansas City, against anybody who would want to. And then the league basically gets another expansion check because they own the team and they auction it oh, off. God, that would be good. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So and they'd set the price at another 100 mil higher, like 750. Well, and they would because the Coyotes are in a good spot in terms of they're in a better spot than an expansion team because they have what, seven picks in the first two rounds in this upcoming draft. They're not starting from scratch. Yeah. They even have a few NHLers on their roster. Yeah. So um, that seems like the more likely option. Hey, Mr. Murillo, this is awful. We want you gone. Here's your money. Okay. Let's. Let's do this. Let's yeah. sell the team. Um, but then again, it could be there's only one bidder, and he's offering less. Oh well, well then you're screwed. So you have to. You have. So do to, you rip the bandaid off now, or do you continue to to pull it off? And you've, you've bled through the bandaid three times over, and the blood is spreading down your arm at this point. So you you know that um, meme on Twitter where it's the guy standing in front of the whiteboard and he goes, the best time to delete this tweet was the moment you sent it. The second best time is now. That's where I'm at with the Coyotes. You have to know that this is everything that Batman Daily, everyone is working on in the background, day in and day out right now, because the clock is running. Sponsors don't like this stuff either, right? Like, they want as many eyes and ears and anything that they can do and commercials and on the boards revenue as they possibly can. Like... They're like, why would we invest in your product when we can go to the NBA or the NFL? Exactly. They have quadruple the viewership you do, and they don't have a team playing in someone's basement. Do you know who else hates this? Every other owner and every player. The Players Association is going to fight this. I've Not uh, moving or moving? Uh, not moving. This whole Because there's certain requirements. Because A, the players still owe the owners money. So the fact that the Coyotes are going to somehow lose even more money over the next year is going to primarily come out of the player's share. Yeah. Um, that arena good. does not meet NHL requirements under the CBA that the players like are expected to get when they go to these games. So that stuff has to be met. And there is a deadline approaching rapidly. I don't know the exact date because I kind of heard it in passing, but that... This arena will need to be retrofitted in a lot of ways. The Coyotes themselves have to pay for it to get it up to code. And the deadline for this is like less than two weeks from now. So you're saying things look a little grim. Just a little. Before we get to the next segment, just one thing I've said a lot of times, and I'm going to say again, sport is culture. Sport is at its, I I would think professional sports in terms of like financial Revenue 
like financial impact and societal acceptance in term like into like general culture is at its peak right now especially with everything going on to the, in the pandemic people are looking to professional sports as an escape they are whether you like it or not they are and it's one of those areas where for better or worse the valuations have skyrocketed this isn't the early you know 2000s or even 2010 when a, a, an NHL team could be had for you know 100 mil, 200 mil, whatever it was, you're talking a billion dollars now. And it is an absolute joke that the NHL who is wants to contend with the NBA, the NFL and the MLB, which by all rights, they don't, they're, they're fourth on their best days. They're, they're fourth, not even, they're not even fourth in most of the cities they play in. It, There's, they've got two teams that are in other leagues that are higher. Like college sports is bigger in a lot of locales there. Yeah, oftentimes, depending on the day and what's going on, college sports and NASCAR hasn't beat out. New Jersey what Devils you, are the bottom of New York area sports. To be fair, I think they probably get more attention than Rutgers, at least. But <laughs> but like my, Miami University versus the Florida Panthers, who do you think gets more attention there? Man, it should be the Panthers because they're so good right now. But no, yeah. Yeah, my, that is an injustice, but... It, but that's the thing. The this is the kind of stuff, and I like Gary Bettman knows this. But the NHL can't be, they can't be messing around in the muck like this anymore. You want to be the big boys, you got to act like the big you boys. Gotta put on your big boy pants. You got to make hard decisions, and it sucks. That's what leaders are supposed to do. Anyhow, I'm sure there will be more developments on this. Where I'm, I've made the same joke before. There's going to be 10 new arena deals, 10 relocations, and six different ownership groups by the time, next time we talk. But The only question I have is if – do the Nordiques use the same jerseys yeah, or do they modernize absolutely it? not. Because I wanted Winnipeg to use their OG jerseys, and they, they let me down. They absolutely have to use the same jersey. Um, okay. Before we get into overtime, we are going to jump into our segment sponsored by the FanDuel, FanDuel Sportsbook. Uh, we're going to take a look at some betting odds. Uh, also, we want your suggestions on what to name this segment. Some kind of joke about Brad and Ryan being wrong and Evan the only one giving you good uh, tips. Brad and Ryan play with Evan's money. Yeah, that's actually a really good one. <laughs> <laughs> I don't agree to this. Well, you got to do it for the show, buddy. All right, Evan, what's, uh, what betting line are we looking at today? What are we chatting? We about? are going to do make or not make the playoffs. Oh, interesting. Okay. Okay. So for the first one, maybe this is obvious. Maybe it's not. Um, to make the playoffs, Edmonton Oilers, yes or no are the two options. Okay. So yes is minus 190. No is plus 148. And no, just in case you need to know for the playoffs, they're sitting in, they have 46 points and they are two points out of a wild card spot who are Calgary and yeah. Minnesota. So their points percentage is 575, which is the next best of the non uh, wild card teams. Calgary has 600 and Minnesota has 705. So they're still favored to make the playoffs. Ah, <laughs> I would almost avoid this bet, honestly. I, I the, the payoff's not good enough on this one. I there's probably good, better bets. Segues into my next one: the Calgary <laughs> Flames. Yes or no? Yes, minus six fifty. No, plus four twenty. Blaze it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Here's the thing. Okay, look at the Edmonton bet, and if you think they're not going to make it take that money but put that on edmonton not making it if you're sure but if you think edmonton's gonna make it instead of putting it on edmonton put it on calgary to miss instead that's exactly what i would do exactly exactly because uh calgary is not in the same 
reality is Minnesota. They are the two wildcard teams with a seven-point difference, and Minnesota, Minnesota! Has, has the game in hand. I mean, that being said, though, Calgary is only – not only, but they're nine points behind – no, sorry, five points behind LA with six games in hand. So the Central is very much locked up. It's it's. What's your confidence levels in the Pacific teams? Which, honestly, from the long odds perspective, that division could be chaos down the stretch. Some weird shit's going to happen. What weird shit? I don't know. I feel like this is one of those ones where it's just trust your gut because, uh, yeah. <laughs> well, there's another interesting one in the Pacific to me, and it was Anaheim Ducks. Make or not make? And it was yes plus 136, no, minus 174. And right now they are pretty comfortably second in the Pacific. Yeah, and one thing I mentioned before, I said Edmonton's got the best points percentage of the non-wildcard teams. I wasn't considering that Anaheim has a worse points percentage than them in the Pacific just because they've played seven more games. Yeah, And LA is almost dead on – like. They're Anaheim, LA, and Edmonton are 574, 575, and 576 in terms of points percentage. So they can all flip around. Anaheim's a tough one, man. Hey, would you look at that? They're second in the division. Apparently, fancy hockey plays do work. Well, again, <laughs> their their games played a significantly higher. Right? So what, what were the, the betting lines again? Um for Anaheim? Yeah, yeah, yeah. They were Yes, plus 136. No, minus 174. It's not a good payout, but that feels like an underdog bet that could is likely to hit. I'd take the yes there. It's a good little sprinkle, I think. Yeah, Yeah. if you don't get it, that's fine. But it's a a fun bet to put it on. You get to watch Zegras and Terry tear it up. Anytime you can hit the underdog, it's obviously always a win, like a fun win. So that's not a bad one. While we were looking this up, just if we want to go to Eastern Conference playoff odds, I feel like these are going to be astronomical because I just noticed one oddity here. Yeah. In the entire Eastern Conference, there is one team that has points in the 40s. Everybody's either 39 or below or 53 and above. Yes. The the number- Detroit? D- Detroit. The <laughs> betting The betting odds <laughs> to make the playoffs in the East make this conversation very boring because it's basically like New Jersey Devils, yes or no? Yes. Plus fifth or 5,000. <laughs> no. Minus 20,000. Yeah. The Red Wings are minus 4,500 to not make the playoffs. Which, I mean, if you wanted to do that to make some money back, you could, but it's not going to be much. Do you throw $5 on the Red Wings making the playoffs at plus 1800 no. just to... Actually, just to give a demonstration of how playoff, like those odds work, if you bet 5 bucks on the Red Wings at a plus 1800 to make the playoffs, you lose 5 bucks. They're not making. <laughs> they're not making the playoffs. That doesn't. <laughs> yeah, I don't the, think my math is that bad. <laughs> the only thing that actually looks fun at all in betting for these playoff odds is the Pacific Division. You just got to go to the people who are on their bullshit. Yeah, which uh, when is Edmonton not on their bullshit? Hey, Vancouver at plus 520. Look, I don't believe they'll make it, but that would be fun. Bruce Boudreau is a regular season coach. Okay, a team that doesn't get talked about enough, but just looking at points percentage here, what are the odds on Dallas making it? Um, Dallas, yeah, that was actually one I wanted to bring up, but I was trying to pivot away. Minus 112 for yes and no, actually. Yes. That's boring as hell. Never yeah. mind. So you have to just decide what you want there. Anyhow, um, 
consider those playoff odds. Let us know what you think. And if you have any wagers, uh, share it with us. We want to see what you're doing. Thank you to this FanDuel Sportsbook for sponsoring this segment. And for now, we're going to jump into overtime on this episode of the Wayne Wheel Podcast, which is brought to you by our Patreon supporters. They're the reason we're able to do this show. Patreon.com slash Podcast. Uh, thank you for giving us a heartbeat because Evan Lopsinger sure doesn't have one. Um, Licking Windows for Fun says, hey, guys, if you had to use a weapon in battle, what would you use? Something non-traditional. I think fighting someone with a flail would be fun, if not a big ass spear non-traditional yeah okay flail would be good i've always liked uh, yeah there's a high chance that that big spiky ball comes back and impales you right in the chest and breaks all your ribs i would absolutely be the person to do that or come back and hit my shin and i would actually just i almost threw up just thinking about it (laughs) oh i'm a big fan of like in uh dead island was a zombie game i i chose the uh brute force weapon so baseball bat Negan. That's a traditional weapon. If Negan's bat from The Walking Dead, I want that baseball bat wrapped in barbed wire. Yeah. Lord Blashill, Master Commander of the Tank Brigade, says, "Is it just me, or did the Toronto game mirror the Wings season so far? Great freewheeling start. That's fun, exciting, and relatively successful, but eventually giving way to boring dump and chase, defensive at all costs hockey that leads to a disappointing loss. Why did we do a whole segment? We could have just read that comment. Yeah, that was very succinct. Yeah. I hate that I had to think. You guys could have saved me. Like, yeah." Which we will never do. My, my brain's tired. I can't do that that often. Uh, Clint Binish says, hey, keep up the great work. Before we get to the question, I want to correct you on how to pronounce my last name. You pronounced Binish like Finnish. So there's that. I've been saying Binesh for the whole time. So apologies. Uh, one, I watched the Lundqvist jersey ceremony and I can't believe he never got a cup. Who deserves a cup that never won one before they retired? Again, let's the poster boy for this. Marcel Dion never even got to a cup final. I feel like every time I hear that, it's shocking to me. That is shocking. He's one of the greatest players in NHL history. He's like a top five, top 10 scorer for a while there. (laughs) I think it's you who tells me that every time. And I'm like, seriously? It might be. I'm not really all about the Marcel Dion bullshit, but like it's a stat I know. (laughs) Uh, Two, you guys talked about how Larkin is ranked around 20th of number one centers in the NHL, where would you rank Cider as a number one D prospect compared to the rest of the league's number one D? Probably around 20. I think that's probably in the same ballpark. In around there. But D- the difference is uh, most Cider's 20. Yeah. It's very hard to come or come by number one defenseman. Uh, Taylor F says, should the Wings be interested in trading for Owen Tippett, who is available? Uh, and what would it take to get it done? Uh, probably too much because I'm even though Florida's made him available, they're probably making him available with a very high ask but yes he he's absolutely someone the Red Wings should be looking at they don't have that elite shooter so you can get him on the uh half wall in one of the power oh, plays wow. and- Michael Rasmussen come on down elite <laughs> shooter <laughs> so yes if if the Panthers are willing to give him up cheap enough it would be a worthwhile gamble Stevie loves his reclamation projects but I don't see him his cost being low Think of what we would want if the Red Wings were to decide to move Zadina right now, despite where he's at. And that's not uh, the that, same, but like just the same kind of. Tip, I think Tip has been around a little longer. He's a little older, but essentially, yeah, yeah same premise. thesis. Yeah. Matt Whip. Every time I read his name, his name, I want to say Matt Whip. Says, hey, boys, should we be paying more attention to the season Cross Hannes has been having? I know he's in a weak league, but he's having a really nice bounce back season after last year. Could we see him in Grand Rapids next year? Thanks. Hopefully. Um, he's The thing with him was always skill through the roof. He was 
scoring Michigan goals in junior before it was commonplace. So yeah, um, Grand Rapids is the natural next step for him. And I think they actually do have to sign him this year or they lose his rights. Yeah, they do. So then, yeah, he definitely should be in Grand Rapids next year. Because even if you're not the biggest cross believer, which I don't think I'm there yet, but um, you don't lose him for nothing. For a guy where you're like, I don't know if he's going to make it or not, the one thing you would want him to have is a tremendous amount of skill to put him over the edge, and that's what he has. So at the very least, he's fun, and it's a worthwhile project to continue although i think that might be a bit reductive to cross hannis uh brad's step stool did i choose this comment just because of the name yeah maybe uh says let alone calder i'd argue it isn't too soon to say that cider belongs in the norris conversation not to say he deserves to win it but any defenseman that has the 10th most assists at his position leads his team in time on ice with the most defensive zone starts is impressive enough oh did i forget to mention that his most common line mate is one danny DeKaiser? his next most common jordan osterley cider is truly momentous remember when we thought he was going to play with letty anyways uh he did for a hot second yeah a hot second and then blashville realized oh no this is the guy we need to prop up other guys yes um i want one person to give him one fifth place vote just for the recognition because i know a lot of people do that with their fifth votes of just hey who might not be getting enough attention so max if you're listening Um, okay. Last one here from Sam W says at this stage of the rebuild, it seems practical to have competent replacements in mind for potential trade deadline pieces moving out. For example, I think, uh, when we were considering moving to tar, Tyler Bertuzzi's readiness was a factor. That being said, who do you think are the players in our system that will be ready to step in if we were to move Letty, Stahl, Nemesnikov, or even however unlikely it may be Zadina? Jamel Smith, Carter Rowney, and Brian Lashoff. Not the answer you were looking for. But it's the one we're going to get. And if not Brian Lashoff, Dan Renouf, come on down. That That's like rest of season player. Yeah. You'll, will we Taro maybe? Hirose. Uh, um, yeah, though. Yes. Yes. Maybe not. They might want to keep him in Grand Rapids, though, because that team, they want to keep that yeah. team strong. Could we get uh, a cup of tea from Jonathan Berggren? Yeah, probably. Probably should, actually. Just, hey, here's what the NHL is all about, kid. You're playing this weekend, and then we're not seeing you the rest of the year. So have fun. No pressure on him and understand that he's going to be there for the Griffins playoff run. But yeah, for the most part, the answers are going to be boring and uneventful. Yeah, getting into next year is when you'll probably see more burger and conversation and what have you. All right, folks, that's all. Uh, we are going to be back with you on Thursday uh, again this week because it's another uh, Wednesday night game. So next episode is going to be Thursday. I want to thank you all so much for tuning in. And hey, if you want to support the show in other ways, um, Leave us a rating. Would those uh, five-star ratings make a massive, massive difference? That's very funny to say about that. So I uh, went to go do it on Spotify, and it said, you have not listened to any episodes <laughs> yet, so why don't you try them out first before you rate them? And I still have not rated, <laughs> rated us. <laughs> Oh, we'd like to thank the sponsors of this episode of the Winged Wheel Podcast, the uh, FanDuel Sportsbook, as well as our name-level sponsors on Patreon, Arjun Shanker, Eve Spartels on behalf of the Sarah Grand Foundation, Kyle Kragitz, Nick Perks, Brett Bailey, Terry Driver of the number 69, Crying Ryan Han has been in a slam jamathong, Taylor Tadgel, Matthew M. Rice, uh, B. Diz, Carl Brutanen Nanaluski, Chimmy, Citizen High Five, CJ Sully, Craig Kibble, Derek Enstam, DJ Denton, Give Blood, Fight Probert, Greach, 
Hanali, Hassam Al-Qasem, Jay Gollum, Jacob Turner, Justin and the Angry Mob, Kaylin Wood, King Tone, Kyle Hashman, Licking Windows for Fun, Matt McKay, R.A., Ryan Hubbard, Scott Martin, Stay Fresh Cheese Bags, Your Friendly Neighborhood <laughs> Window Paper, Zach Spring, Alex Blackmore, Andrew Bohan, uh, Sam Bankson, Adam, I Wish I Could Finish Like Ernie, Antonio Gracias, Babe Landeskog, Ben Barron, Brad's Dad Moan, Connor Leighton, Dave W., Eaton Ass, Smoking Grass, Eric Sinkowski, Evan's Spicy Rum Chata Boof, Evan's Bingo Card, James Laporte, Jeremy Brocker, John Evans, Josh Yelton, Kevin McCracken, Quaz, Logan Stahl, Matt Keeler, Matt S., Max $1 million, Revy DeLuca, Terry Actual, Trevor Pebavar, Zach Handyside, and Zach McCann, a driving range superstar. Take care, folks. Stay warm. Uh, unless you live somewhere warm, in which case, piss off. And we'll talk to you Thursday. Thanks for tuning in to the Winged Wheel Podcast. Be sure to check out wingedwheelpodcast.com, where you can subscribe to the show on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. You'll also find links to other ways to support the show, such as Patreon, official podcast apparel, and more. And don't forget to follow the show on Twitter at Winged Wheel Pod. And of course, the hosts at Brad Crisco, at Ryan Hanna WWP, and at Hockey Town Evan.